No, 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 that's the Greek festival. No, no, that's the Macedonian festival. No, that's the Burger Fest. Did, uh, we're talking about the Italian Fest. I, uh, never mind. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Our LTP's Off-Road, and we're continuing our summer history series. This year, focusing on great theatrical palaces, movie houses, palaces of live theater and vaudeville from many, many years ago. These places have tremendous historical importance, and they are also beautiful. And I took a lot of pictures. So if you want to see the pictures connected to this, they are linked to the website, and I have a Pinterest page for each one of them. Two weeks ago, it was the Riviera Theater. This week, I took a ride down to Fredonia. Okay, cue the music. Just about an hour away, and I met with Rick Davis from the Fredonia Opera House. Another great guy, had a lot of great stories to tell. What a history the Fredonia Opera House had. For so many years, and of course it's one of those places that was revitalized and restored, and it is beautiful inside. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to their executive director, Rick Davis, here on RLTP's Off-Road. Let's start with you, because I don't really know you. When did you start here, and what was your connection to it to begin with? So this is my, I'm currently in my 16th year oh, uh, as executive director here. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the fourth uh, executive director. And the very first time I was in this theater was shortly after it opened, reopened in 1996 or seven mm -hmm. for a production of Always Patsy Cline. And well, now when you say reopened, let me just stop you yes. here. It reopened because it had not, it had been closed for renovations or it yeah. had just not been used for a while. It had operated for most of its life as strictly a movie theater, the Winter Garden Movie Theater okay. here in Fredonia. And it had actually closed in 1981 okay. because it was it had fallen into disrepair. It, the seats were terrible. It's a pretty it common story I've been hearing. It yeah. had not been kept up. Yeah. And in fact, it closed in 1981. You couldn't use the balcony for two years prior to that because it was in such a too, too dangerous. Such bed, yeah, oh. too dangerous. Mm -hmm. Too many people up there. It started to move. So it's <laughs> <laughs> not a good sign. Not, not a good sign. <laughs> so it closed in 81 and. The village leaders actually were talking about tearing down oh, this building. Yeah. 1982, 83, that conversation was being had. And the citizens of the community 
rush to form this grassroots group to save Good the village that. hall. Because as you came in, you would have noticed this theater is located within the government the, building. The government building. Yeah. It's Fredonia's village hall mm-hmm. and opera house. And they wanted to build a new modern government center, which I'm sure would have been something very attractive like cinder block. Um, <laughs> or a parking lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and But the citizens said, no, this is a... It's an architecturally interesting building. It's a significant structure on our town square. Mm-hmm. Can't you restore or renovate instead of raise? And they actually were successful. The, the leaders at the time said, we will put a referendum on the November ballot seeking to bond money to restore Village Hall. And if the, voter, if the general voters approve it, that's what we'll do. Overwhelmingly passed. And they did what they said they would do. They restored Village Hall. Oh, lovely. But? Didn't touch the theater. (laughs) Had no intention (laughs) of doing anything with the theater. So those same citizens, they kind of... This is in the 80s. This was in the 80s, yes. So this would have been 84. Okay. So in 1980... Yeah, in 1984, those citizens banded together and formed the Fredonia Preservation Society. Nice. And the sole purpose of their... Existence was to raise money and to restore this theater. Mm -hmm. And they began doing that. They began raising money first. They raised $1.2 million in total. Not a lot of money to restore a theater. (laughs) Not like this, no. They were able to do it because so many in the community wanted to be a part of it and came out and volunteered their time. Mm -hmm. So $1.2 million, nine years, and more than 30,000 volunteer hours, they restored the theater. It started in earnest, and the work started in earnest in 1985. And in 1994, November, it reopened as a functioning theater with live performances and movies and all kinds of community events. Mm -hmm. And it's operated year-round since that time. So this would be our... 28th year of operation. <laughs> okay. I've been here 16 of them, mm-hmm. which is how we got to that. How we got to that. I made you take a detour <laughs> there. Because... But my first introduction to the theater was shortly after they reopened. Mm. Uh, I came for Always Patsy Klein, and uh, we sat up in the balcony. You mean in... you came just to, sit, to view the I show? I came as a, just as a, yeah, as oh. a patron to, oh. to see the show. And who was producing shows here at that point? Because they were doing, that was a live show. That was not a film. That was, you know. It was a live show. It was a combination. The the theater at the time was, they were presenting touring acts, Mm -hmm. touring performances, local artists. They also took a stab at producing. So the nonprofit organization that operates the theater then and now, they attempted to do the production. Mm. It was a good production. We really enjoyed it. Never thought I would be working here you know, many <laughs> years you later. Do- what were you doing in those days? So I was actually in living in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina at oh. the time. My husband and I lived down there. We have family in the area, and we were just back visiting family. Oh, you have family in this area? Yes. Uh, he's from Jamestown. Oh, nice. and so is my mother. My, half my family ah, still lives in Jamestown. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> and I'm from central New York, Syracuse. Uh, but started working at Chautauqua Institution right out of college. And from there, went to uh, work for a telephone company, which took me to North Carolina. That's what I was 
that's what took me down there. Were you working in the arts down there? I, no, just working in a corporate telephone company, okay. marketing and public relations. Mm -hmm. uh, left that company, went to work for city government in Charlotte, <laughs> marketing and public relations and citizen outreach, yeah. corporate communications. Um, and that's what I was actually doing at the time we came back here. But I always, always had that love for the mm -hmm. arts, always wanted to get back into doing something for the arts. So in 2004, we decided it was time to move back to this area. Nice. We both had aging parents. We, we were too far away. We wanted to, to be back in this area. We just missed it. Yeah. And I moved back with no job. My husband was opening a, a little coffee shop and cafe, so I helped out with that. And this position became open, and I applied and was so glad uh, to come in and be back at the theater again. Oh, my goodness. And you were the fourth, did you say? I was the fourth. There, there were the... three executive directors before me. Was that the title that they all held? They all, was yes. it executive director, not artistic director? Because now, they're, as you know, they're doing both. They're doing executive yes. and artistic director. But was there always that, uh, that was the title? Always executive director. And shortly after that venture of always Patsy Cline and a mm -hmm. few other summer stock type productions yes. at which they lost their shirts doing, uh, the board decided we are going to be a presenting theater exclusively. So um, while they tried to produce and present back in the early days, shortly after that, it just didn't make sense to try to produce. Mm -hmm. uh, we became a presenting theater and that's what we do today. We present performing artists that are passing through the area that we bring in international artists, touring artists, and we still do many other things too. We are a movie house. We also are the only venue in northern Chautauqua County that offers satellite productions such as Live at the oh, Met from New York. Yeah. Projected onto the screen. Projected on the screen. Yeah. Um, the Bolshoi Ballet from Moscow, although that's we're not doing that right now. And the National Theatre Live from London. Wow. Um, as well as a lot of special satellite transmission events that are offered to us because we have the equipment and because we are able, we're licensed to do the other live programs. We, we also do several uh, special satellite events. The Monty Python Live Reunion from London's O2 Arena, mm -hmm. Roger Waters Concert, also from London's mm -hmm. O2 Arena, interestingly. So things like that. Yes. Just to go back a yes. little bit. So in the 80s, when it was uh, nearly torn down, it had been running as a movie theater right up to then? Yes, till about uh, uh, from the Up mid... to the point when they said we, we should tear it down? Yes. Oh, yes. Right well, up to 81. Not, um, not in the balcony. but Not in the balcony for the last two years, yeah, yes. Yeah. But right up till 80, 1981. Mm -hmm. And from about the mid-20s, it was solely a, a movie palace. Opened in 1891. Well, that was, that was where a, I was going yeah, with this. Where... As a vaudeville theater. Okay called the Grand Opera House to lend an air of sophistication to it, but really it was a vaudeville theater. You know, it's funny because when I did the Buffalo history thing, one of the things I was talking about with the two gentlemen who we were going through all of the, all the history back as far as we could, I think it went back to 18 something or other, but anyway, after Lincoln was, was murdered in a theater, yeah. the word theater itself became sort of taboo and uh, not taboo, but it was unseemly to have these theaters around. So a lot of people changed their names to music halls mm -hmm. or opera house because we, because we wondered aloud as we were talking about this, were there actual live operas playing there? Did the Lancaster Opera House have live 
opera presented? Did the Fredonia Opera House, did they have live opera? And we couldn't really find, well, this is what I'm asking you about. We couldn't really find information about that, but then we realized that a lot of the names had just been changed, adjusted, so that they were now called music halls instead of theaters or opera houses instead of theaters because theater had that tinge to it. Mm -hmm. So when this place was built, and, and I assume it was all built as part of the government offices yes. as well. It wasn't separate, and then they added the offices to it. That yep. It was all part of, this was a government building. Correct. You know, the, the, right from the beginning. The Fredonia Village government. Village hall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Village so hall. when it was first built, it was predominantly for vaudeville? Yes, and community gatherings. If there was a, was a, a public center. meeting, it was the town center. It was where the, the people came in to hear important issues. So yeah, there were yeah. lectures and such okay. at the time, but primarily vaudeville. Yeah. Any big names of ever that you knew of? So I'm sure there were a lot. So there were not truly big names, although you'll recognize a few, I'm sure. Harry Keller mm-hmm. was the mentor magician to Harry Houdini. Oh. In fact, Harry Houdini took his name Harry from, from Harry his Keller. mentor, from Harry Keller. Harry Keller performed here on the stage. Gypsy Rose Lee performed here <laughs> on the stage, but not in her burlesque days. I see. She was here when she was much younger, touring with her sister June, and <laughs> the Gypsy story is true. You know, the, the, the Gypsy, from, the musical, from, musical, from yeah. the musical, that story is true. That's how they, they traveled about. And we know she was here and performed here because she wrote about it in one of her memoirs. And her sister June, who was June Havoc, yes. got the mumps while she was here. And so they were stuck in Fredonia for a week and had a terrible experience exactly. here. So that's how we told Gypsy Rose Lee was here when she was little Louise and with little <laughs> did, did dainty Marx, June. Did the Marx Brothers play here? Well, because and that's, there is Fredonia in, in what is it, the, Duck Soup or something? That's right. That's the other big... The big local legend is that uh, the Marx Brothers were here, and the story is they were so poorly received, they were booed off the stage, oh, no. fruit thrown at them, <laughs> and so when they were producing Duck Soup, Fredonia became the name of the, the corrupt, bankrupt country, <laughs> and uh, and that was just to get back at Fredonia. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's no documentation that the Marx Brothers <laughs> ever story, were though. here. It's a great story, <laughs> and I'm sure every community named Fredonia in the country tells the same story. Right. It's sort of like Hamburg, where we're the birth of the hamburger, no matter what anybody else in the world says. That's right. And it's probably not even <laughs> close to true. But That's right. There is truth to the fact that when that movie came out, Duck Soup, the president of Fredonia, the village of Fredonia, they weren't mayors then, interestingly. They were village presidents. So President Harry Hickey wrote to the studio that was releasing Duck Soup (laughs) and complaining (laughs) that the movie is making a mockery of the name of Fredonia and it's besmirching our fine town's reputation. And could they change the name in the movie? And they were probably ignored, I'm sure. Groucho Marx wrote him back and said, yes, said that Fredonia, the village of Fredonia is besmirching the name of their fine movie and would we consider changing it? And (laughs) and there's there's a photo of the President Hickey on the phone uh, with the studio uh, angry over that. 
it was all a big publicity stunt because oh this goodness. happened before the movie came out. So we know that we were working at the time with the film studio to generate a little publicity. Generate some interest, but, of uh, course. Which, which, of course, the Still, Marx Brothers were wonderful. Another yeah. great story. Though. That's right. <laughs> Whether it's true or not. That's right. Was, was the theater, were the films running during the silent era? Yes. And that's actually what happened is while it was a vaudeville theater, it also was showing silent films. And the movies became much more well-attended than vaudeville performances. And as movies moved into talking pictures, Mm -hmm. that attendance became even more and more, and there was more interest in it. And by the mid-1920s, as vaudeville was waning, we became just a movie theater and operated pretty much nonstop from that point on until 1981 when it closed under several different names and several different operators over the years. I was going years. to ask if it had a yeah, not consistent. connect to Shays or Shines yeah. or Lowe's no. or any of those. No, none of those. All local private operators. Interesting. And uh, and that's how it closed. That's it was when it closed. It was the Winter Garden operated locally, mm-hmm. and and it was a shame to see it go. But then it made way for the place to be restored and yeah, renovated yeah. and dodged turned the into this. And, yeah. and turned into this. Was there a live music uh, or an orchestra and so on playing that you, that you know of? Yes. And, and we had an, we had an organ also. You did? Uh, yes. So uh, to accompany the silent films mm-hmm. far prior to the restoration, uh, the organ and the, and the organ pipes, they were all removed oh, and they yeah. went to some church and we had the folks who were involved in the restoration had tracked it down for a bit and then lost track of where the organ actually ended up ultimately. Hmm. But there was an organ here for silent films, and we do have our orchestra pit, although the orchestra pit was covered for much of the later life of the movie theater so that they could fit more seats in. Sure, sure, sure. From the time it reopened after the restoration, as I think you already said, you were bringing in outside troops Mm -hmm. to perform either dramatic performances or musical performances or just music itself, mm-hmm. uh, uh, combos and concerts and mm-hmm. things like that. Was that its programming? Was it a combination of various types of arts? Yes, along with cinema. We still, still did because cinema. all of the technology was still here in the sound booth and, mm-hmm. and was continued to be utilized. So we still had an independent film series okay. that presented at the when we first reopened after we were restored 20 to 25 films per year. We've increased that now. We're up to about 36 films per year that we present. And there are a few things that have continued from the very beginning in 1985, 1994 when we reopened mm-hmm. to today. Um, we're getting ready to present in another three weeks our 25th Bach and Beyond Baroque Music Festival. Mm-hmm. 25 because we took the last few years off during COVID. So that means it started the very first year of operation. Something we do produce, although we're technically presenting, sure. but it's we bring these musicians in from, there are international musicians. One of our musicians this year is Romanian. We've had Canadian, Bulgarian musicians, as well as some local musicians, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Canada, um, they come together as a core group of about 15 to 20 musicians every 
summer mm -hmm. supplemented by others given whatever the instrumentation is needed for a particular piece local people who would local come people yeah. um, soloists would, or soloists that I would see. come in for a particular a particular piece and we're getting ready to do our 25th festival it's three concerts over three days mm -hmm. friday night saturday night sunday afternoon they're here from monday of the week earlier rehearsing it's the only time this group ever plays together, performs mm -hmm. together, and and that's something that began the very first year of operation. So that was part of the programming. It started with uh, Grant Cooper, who at the time led the chamber players on the Fredonia SUNY Fredonia campus, and so the the and it's always been in June. The goal was to have something, some type of offering that fills that gap from the end, the middle of May when SUNY Fredonia offerings have ceased because the semester has ended. So there's the symphony and the college choir and their performances are done. And this start of the summer festivals, the summer orchestras and summer symphonies. So it fills that very narrow gap in June that was always kind of empty. What, for what, that type of offering. Do you have a relationship with the Fredonia campus, with the with the university, in some way, or? We do, I, I actually teach as an adjunct there in the theater and dance department. Mm -hmm. They rent us periodically for programs. Mm -hmm. Student groups on campus rent us on an annual basis. The Student Opera Theater Association really? presents their spring opera scenes program mm -hmm. here every year. We've had the Performing Arts Company, which is a student theater group, rent us in the past for a short four-night run of whatever they're putting together. We've presented artists and faculty members in recital here. So there is that, that relationship. They're a bit of a competition for us because there's the wonderful Rockefeller Arts Center, which oh, yeah, has five performance spaces. Mm -hmm. But we compete, but we don't compete. It's a very collegial atmosphere and we become oftentimes a performance space that is available when there are no performance spaces available on campus. Interesting. So it's an interesting relationship, very collegial one. When they were restoring the place and a lot of it was done from volunteers, most of the money came from donations and things? Was it was actually done from with local just residents, right? Correct, right. And is that where most of the money came from, and the donations, and so on? Yes, it was. It, there was one. So I mentioned earlier, 1.2 million dollars in total. Mm -hmm. There was a quarter million dollar grant that came from New York State. It was a state historic preservation okay. grant. There were some grants from local foundations, like the Northern Chautauqua Community Foundation, and some other, the M&T Bank Foundation. Uh, Lakeshore Savings Bank Foundation, sure. so from local foundations, but probably a good three quarters of the total amount raised came from individuals. Wow. And it was in the local individuals who did the work. I love some of the stories that that show that commitment and passion that the local individuals put into this. We have currently 444 seats in the theater. Two-thirds of them are fully upholstered. The rest have upholstered seat bottoms. And mm -hmm. The, back, the back backs are wooden. One gentleman reupholstered all of those chairs <laughs> in his garage, wow. 20 seats at a time, 
And then he would bring them back and take 20 more and bring them back and take 20 more. And it took three years. And that was his sole contribution to the effort. But what a contribution. Holy cow. Really? One couple, retired geology professor from the college and his wife, who is an artist, who also are folk musicians and have sponsored and presented the Folk and Fredonia Music Series since it reopened in 1994. And our next concert in that series is Friday evening. Mm -hmm. They painted the proscenium. It's a pressed tin proscenium. They spent a winter painting the proscenium and the space above the ceiling above the proscenium. And I love hearing them talk about it because it had to be done on scaffolding. And they talk about He's very tall. He's about six foot four. (laughs) She's much shorter. So what they ended up doing, so it worked for both of them, is they sat in beach chairs, you know, the kind with very short legs. They were in beach chairs and painting up up over their head like Michelangelo. Oh, my Lord. And it was at a time when there was no heat, no electricity in here, so they had to work by the sunlight that would come through the windows. They had to thin the paint sometimes because it was pretty chilly in here and if they thinned it too much it would run down their arms and but they did the entire proscenium and strictly on a volunteer basis. on a volunteer basis they were involved that particular couple was involved in the entire nine-year restoration process and have continued to be involved in the 25 years since the reopening he served as president or chairman of our board of directors for more than three terms his daughter is our current board president. Oh. So it's a family thing. Sure. It's been handed down generation well, after generation. Well, it just kind of goes to show you that when a place like this does become such an integral part of the of the community and the people, they have their blood and sweat and fingers yes. and paint and everything in this place, yes. is it well supported now? I mean, even for films? It, it, it is. And they're not the only, I should say, they are not the only two people like no, that. I'm there sure. are countless stories of people who were involved in the restoration, who we continue to see and support us. And we are well supported today. About 20% of our budget comes from membership contributions. So we're a member organization. We have about 500 members each year. Mm-hmm who make an annual contribution and then support us by their attendance at events. We're still coming back from COVID attendance-wise. And everyone I talk to is saying the same thing. So I think it's just going to take some time. But we, we had a movie last night, and I saw some people that we haven't seen in three years. And they said, well, this is our first foray back our first time back at the theater. And, you know, we've been open since last July, so yes. it's been a number of months. So we're still seeing that. People are just now getting comfortable going back out again. Do you have competition? Are there other theaters in the area? There's a movie theater on Route 60, right as you get oh, off, right as you get off the, the throughway. But that's what, yeah, okay. I, it's a shoe, one of those shoebox theaters. Shoe, thank yes. you. Shoebox theaters. And, and Where they, you can hear the movie next door. Exactly. From your... <laughs> exactly, and I have a wonderful story about that. We um we started. We're in our well, years are all weird now because of COVID. Because you, you know, you lost two years. Yeah, so, you can't but, count those. Yeah, we're in about our I think our eighth or ninth season. Let's put it that way okay. of live at the Met. And there was a gentleman for many seasons who would come drive all the way down from Lockport and come to live at the Met here. And I, I said to him, Anthony, I I, I know there are theaters in Buffalo that offer this and and near you why do you come all the way down here we love it but why do you come all the way down here 
And he said, I don't want to hear Terminator coming through the walls while I'm watching La Boheme. Of course. And, and I thought, well, that's wonderful. Plus, and the atmosphere. The space is perfect. Of the space yeah. for it, it, absolutely to watch live streamed opera. It, it, it's just a beautiful theater. Yeah, so, thank you. Yeah. Well, so it's it, it's so we continue to be well supported. We we want to see we have a ways to go to get back to where we were attendance wise, but the financial support has continued. It continued through COVID, which was very heartwarming to us. We still worked. There are three of us on staff. We're three full time employees, mm -hmm. and we split our weeks up or, or our days up. So there were. One of us was. We weren't in, overlapping. Either. We weren't overlapping. You know, two worked at home and one worked in the office, and then the change the next day. But we would open the mail, and there would be a a little card of support that just said, "Hey, we're thinking of you. Here's a little check. Here's it's not check. much, yep. but we don't want you to go under." What I wanted to ask you before I forget. What's your sort of circle of, of clientele? Not counting the guy from Lockport. Right, right. But I mean, do you, do you, do you reach down into Jamestown and Silver Creek in that direction? Or I'm just wondering how big an influence this art palace has on the, the surrounding area. Sure. Primarily, our audience, I think, is Dunkirk and Fredonia mm -hmm. and northern Chautauqua County from Silver Creek to Westfield. And do we draw from Jamestown? Yes, we we have some people who drive up from Jamestown. You have the Chautauqua Institute down there also it's, to compete. It's hard to compete with Chautauqua. Yeah, right. But we they do, don't have the full. It's just summer, nine right, weeks right, in they, the summer. Right. They don't have a yeah. full year. But there are other. There's the Lakeshore Center for the Arts mm -hmm. in Mayville. There are so many arts organizations okay. in Chautauqua County. That's one thing about this that we love about living here is the it's the rich culture that's mm -hmm. in Chautauqua County. But I would say Silver Creek to Westfield, down to Casadega, mm -hmm. that area is our primary source of attendance. Depending on the event, we will draw from Buffalo for our Bach Festival that I mentioned earlier. We have people that come from St. Catharines, Ontario, wow. and drive down and make a weekend of it and stay. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's a beautiful area, too. Gorgeous. Yeah. So we there are those outliers for specific programs that we'll, have, we'll see attendance come. And we're always looking to broaden that. Mm -hmm. But we're primarily northern Chautauqua County. Yeah. Are you on the National Historic uh, Preservation mm -hmm. Register or whatever it's called now? No, and it's because we don't own the building, because it, it's the village of Fredonia's building. Okay. But the building is a, con it's a quote, contributing building within a local historic district that mm -hmm. is on the register, which made for interesting things during the restoration, because anybody who is, anybody who has taken state money within a historic district or taking state money to restore you have to follow their you have rules. to follow their rules and yeah. it, that's it, why i asked because yeah. I, you're, you're sort of limited not limited but uh some places couldn't install air conditioning right because it was a, against the it would have changed the historic designation of the building and they they couldn't do it and we opened without air conditioning i don't know if that was the reason but we opened without air conditioning in 94 I think we operated two summers without air conditioning and then decided it was definitely needed mm -hmm. and you never saw money raised so quickly. <laughs> and it's now right above us. It's over the stage. Uh -huh. That's where our air conditioning is in the attic over the stage. Yeah. Um, and thank goodness we have it be oh, yeah. because I can't imagine having to have doors and windows open for ventilation. You can't compete 
without no. it. Yeah. No, no, you, no, you can't. Do you think that the place is, does it serve as an economic engine for anything else around here? I mean, I know well, the White I, Inn is down the street, that, you know, classic. Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess what I'm asking is, without this place, would this area sort of be really not as built up as it is now? I, I think, I don't know that we're the cause for so many of the businesses opening and, and still existing, but certainly we know just anecdotally, we know from talking to people, people come running in, you know, 20 minutes after seven to get <laughs> yeah. to My make the 7.30 yeah. curtain. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Why? Because, well, they were out to dinner yes. here. and It has to have some effect. Yeah, absolutely. On an average week, how many days are you putting some kind of programming in here from movies to live acts? So on an in an average year, we present 153 okay. performance events. Yeah. Some weekends, like this coming weekend, we have three. We have our concert folk concert Friday night. We have a live at the Met Opera Saturday afternoon, and then we have a movie Saturday night. Um, and then there are some weeks we don't have anything. So it's not when we do our movies. It's a Saturday night followed by a repeat screening on on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So would there be anything else to draw people to these restaurants and bars? If if well, you weren't doing that that number of days per year, I mean, let's take credit here. I, yeah, I, no, I do. Th I think we I think we do. We that, should take credit for some of that. That's a lot of events, and certainly those people wouldn't necessarily be eating out. Right. Uh, so yes, they and and we do bring people from outside the area, as I mentioned earlier, that will come and will stay, mm -hmm. make a weekend of it. So they're patronizing the hotels and such. But the Rockefeller Art Center uh, draws during the school year and. The Lakeshore Center for the Arts in Mayville is mm -hmm. doing some very fine programming. And there, there are other arts events. The arts are an economic driver. There's no I doubt in Chautauqua agree. County. I absolutely believe yeah. that. But in this particular yeah, I, I circle, think, yeah. you know, because you said, of course, of course, you're in competition to some degree with, with the university, but not really. It's I, different. I can't imagine that, that your patrons would spend a lot of time seeing a college theater production there. Unless they had kids in it, or you know, parents and so on, and or unless there was something that was particularly, oh, oh my God, they're, they're doing Hades Town. You know, I I wanted to see that in, on Broadway, but you know, unless there's something really to draw mm -hmm. them there, I think the difference between this building and seeing something on on that ultra modern stage is it's apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. Both the same, both fruits, but it's, it's completely different. So, uh, and, you know, I think that you're a different game. You know? We are, and our programming is different from yes. what, and it's had to evolve mm -hmm. for that reason, because there is a there's a limited audience. Yes. We actually, it's interesting, we do share a lot of patrons. They also, Rockefeller Art Center is a member organization as well. They, they call it Friends of Rockefeller Art Center. So they have annual friend contributions, ours, we call ours members. There's a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. um, many of the same people are giving to both. But our programming has evolved. We used to both present school programs, arts and education programs aimed at the elementary school age groups. And during the school year, and we would have the kids bust in and they would come to a program here for an hour and then they would leave. Mm -hmm. And then we would perhaps offer it that same evening as a family program. Rockefeller Art Center does the same thing. Their family program is called the Kaleidoscope Program. And we were competing with that. Schools, budgets became impacted. They didn't have the funding for, for busing. Mm -hmm. Maybe they would have the funding for the tickets, but not the bus or vice versa. Mm -hmm. We both were suffering, I think, 
Rockefeller has a little bit more of a budget to put toward those programs and they were offering bigger programs so we just simply stopped doing that and said that's a program we're not going to try to compete with them on let them do that they do it really well let them do that they don't do folk music mm -hmm. we've had this folk music series now for 26 years 25 26 years we do that really well and we do three four concerts a year in that series really fine folk musicians from Celtic groups from Scotland and Ireland that come in, Americana roots music, Appalachian performing groups that would come in, just great folk music. Tom Paxton is mm. coming in June to perform. So names well-known, rising stars, rising folk artists. Rockefeller Art Center doesn't do that. It's not, it's not their a genre they deal with. We do that. Mm. So our programming has evolved so that we aren't in direct competition and our programming more complements one another. Interesting. We don't do as many, you've mentioned a couple times, stage productions. Yes. Come in. The theater and dance department does that very well. Yes. So we don't do that very often. I know. I checked your website to see what was running yeah. and so on. But you know what? Instead of stopping and, and yeah. touring and then sitting down again, I'm just going to ask you a few final questions. Sure, sure. And then if you just give me a brief tour, I won't take up any more of your sure. time. Oh, no, I'll take some fine. pictures. But so what, what about the future? Is there anything more... I don't mean restoration-wise, although that's certainly possible. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you added air conditioning finally. <laughs> but what do you see for the future, and what would you dream for the future? Like, mm -hmm. what would you, if I had my way, I'd like to also do this. We need to bring in a younger audience. So right now our board is focused on how can we bring in a younger audience. By younger, I mean our age. <laughs> because we still do see quite an older audience of course. for us here. Uh, but I think that's, that's again... That's the name of the business. That's, that's, yeah. They're the people with the expendable income. They have the time. But we, we want to bring in a younger audience so that our audiences will continue into the future. We're working to broaden our program to bring in bigger names, names that you don't need to advertise much mm -hmm. because people recognize the names and they'll buy those pre-sale tickets. Word gets out fast, yes. yes. What do I mean? Well, right now we're looking at People like Melissa Manchester, mm -hmm. and you know everybody knows who she is. Sure, she's up at the Riviera sometime this year. I saw it on their schedule. Okay. Would love to have her here. It's a wonderful, intimate space oh, for something like beautiful. what she does. Yes, so we've had some success with stand-up comedy. Jim Brewer from Saturday Night Live was here with Pete Corielli who is another well-known comedian who lives right here in Fredonia. Okay. And so we might look to do more stand-up comedy. However, we don't want to compete with the National Comedy Center in Jamestown, mm. which does a lot of that. Sure. So that's what we would... And you're not looking to bring in big rock and roll acts No, either. it's not. It's, just, it's not our, that room. It's not that kind of a room. We've learned a lot. I've learned a lot over my... 16 years here, I, I've learned that while there's a very large Polish population mm -hmm. here in Dunkirk, polka bands aren't going to do well in a space <laughs> like this because we don't serve alcohol and we don't have room to get dance. up and dance. Right, there's no dancing. Exactly. No one's <laughs> going to come sit. Who can stay seated for a polka band? I, so we don't, we don't do that. You know, we've learned a lot. We would like to really develop the audience though more for a young attract more of a younger crowd and we're exploring ways to do that now we've been working with college interns to 
to find out, well, what will attract some of the students? Students go by us every day. They mm -hmm. walk right by us on the way to the bars. And <laughs> But what can we do to bring them in? What, what type of programming can we offer that will bring more of the students in and make them theater-going audiences, not just for here, but when they go home? And and get married and you know sure. take their kids to theater and such. Yeah. So so we're working on that. Any changes to the structure itself or <clears throat> we, additions, technology or I, 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 do you have a digital projection system? We are digital projection. We have been since um, 2012. So mm -hmm. our our movies are all digital. So there's no upgrade movies. needed there. No upgrade needed there. I, you'll laugh when I tell you that our ticketing system. We we still print tickets and sell paper tickets. Mm -hmm. We're looking right now at going into an electronic ticketing system so that. Uh, the pandemic really kind of hit home this whole touchless society yes. everybody is moving toward touchless and it's just a simpler it's just a simpler way to operate but we were and talking it, earlier about mm -hmm. the technologies now how do I, how do i get that on my phone yes what, exactly what do, it, 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 <laughs> well, so that's a fight you have that, to that is a fight we will have to deal with yes. but so we're we're looking to do that tech, technology wise we are i talked about one gentleman reupholstering all 444 <laughs> seats. We are looking to replace our seats. It's a, actually it's a project that's shovel ready to go. We had a funding source for that. We lost the funding source, so um, we're now looking for funding source again to replace all of our seats. These are 15, 17, and 18 inches wide. Wow. Our seating. They're, it's from 1904. Yeah. We are not that narrow anymore and <laughs> so we want to get into the 20s yes. 20 22 how about, how about aisle room i mean, I mean yes uh, leg room exactly the plan is we would actually be eliminating one of the rows downstairs <laughs> to spread those aisles out uh, those uh, uh rows out a little bit more so you have leg room yeah, yeah so it's all ready to go we're looking for funding that's um, great so that that would be an upgrade and yeah i think that folks should Keep an eye on us. We just installed, uh, if you came in Temple Street, you came in through under our marquee, which is brand new. No, I saw that. Beautiful. There I was, already took a picture of it. Oh, good. There was never a marquee on this really? building, even when it opened in 1891, oh. which it was one of the things that made getting that marquee interesting and in dealing with being in a local historic district. Yes. Because we had to put a we had to come up with a design that had minimal impact to mm -hmm. the exterior of the building. Mm -hmm. I love what we came up with. It works really well with oh, the architecture. Terrific. And it does what it's supposed to do. It creates um, awareness of the fact that there's a theater inside this building. Right, right. Um, when I first came, I looked up the stairs and I thought, I'm just going to walk around and see if the side doors are open. And that's when I saw that marquee, immediately stepped across the street, took a couple pictures of it. But it does exactly what it needs to do, which is draw attention. Here's here's the entrance. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to, to you know look around a little bit. Maybe sure. I'll take some pictures simultaneously, Absolutely. or maybe I'll. Let me raise our screen. You get a better sense of the what it's like to perform on the stage. Mm -hmm. Our tours actually kind of go like that. I always start out talking about the history and. And we walk around, and then people ask questions, and they just kind of they they go in all kinds of directions. The the conversation, and but it's a wonderful space that we have. It's a very intimate space, and we have musicians and, and singers and artists who come, and they just love. They've said, "I love performing here." The acoustics are wonderful. We're only 13 rows in the 
orchestra. So do you know if the, the coloring, uh, because it's, it's oh, rich and sure, elegant. Sure, sure, sure. Was this restored to what it originally was, or do you know, or this did color, they know? <laughs> this color scheme is from 1904-05. It is. So there were three major redecorations of the theater mm -hmm. over its history. There was the design, the scheme, when it opened in 1891, which was more what you'd think of a theater of this era. It had a frescoed ceiling. There mm -hmm. were frescoes on the walls. And then in 1904-05, it was redecorated and repainted. And that's when these seats were put in place. Mm -hmm. And we know that these were the colors used because as the restoration was being done, plaster samples were sent to Sherwin-Williams, who gave us this wonderful analysis as they went through the various paint layers. Really? Until, yes, it was, a, it was a really valuable thing. And they told us, okay, and we knew that there was another redecorating in the 1920s. So, and then when it became the Winter Garden, everything was painted Battleship Gray. So under the gray, we, that next layer of color, Sherwin-Williams told us what those colors were. How under that layer was this layer, and they told us these were what your colors were. Do we know if they're anywhere close to where they were then? No, I don't know. <laughs> but, but they're the same tones, the greens, the golds, and the burgundies. And Gary Eckhart, who is a um, retired scenic designer, set designer from SUNY Fredonia, Department of Theater and Dance planned where the colors should go and did this design for the theater basically. Wow. What's nice about it is I think it's kind of timeless. I don't think it's going to go out of style. No, no. It's an elegant color yes, scheme. That's exactly what I thought. And and when we replace the seats, it, it will pain me to replace the the wooden seat backs because I actually love looking out and you can see the you know the wood. It's a nice, rich walnut tone, but we are going to go with fully upholstered. That'll all be burgundy, <laughs> yeah. but but for comfort's sake. It's it's beautiful. But there was so much that they discovered, too, during the restoration. The pit had been covered. The brass rail was in the attic. It had been removed. Really? It's original from 1891. It was black. Somebody thought it was a, a cast iron pipes until they picked it up and found it was so light. And they said, wait a minute. No kidding. And it almost got thrown out. And so the, you know, they cleaned it up and it's like, oh, this is the brass rail from, that, from that's missing. The pit. That's from the, yes, that kept people out of the pit. And, and the brass around the horseshoe balcony is all original as now is well. there any is there any like leftover 1800s technology still here or, oh. or not even technology but i mean like the obviously the brick walls are you know that's the outer wall there yeah and it's interesting because you see that well and now you know because we have them covered that there were windows backstage yes big windows it's because when we opened as a when we opened in 1891, everything was gaslight. Of course. So, you know, you needed ventilation mm -hmm. and such. And and footlight, footlights, all gas. All the lighting sure. was gas. So they had these windows. And these are, these are actual windows to outside? Yeah. Yes. They were sealed off uh, prior to the restoration. You don't have to open them. I just, they yeah. actually are. Yeah. That's and amazing. When, one of the things we did during the pandemic, the village received a... Um, smart growth initiative grant from the state 
2.5 million dollars. Mm-hmm. 1.3 was for park improvements. I'm sorry, 1.2 was for park improvements. 1.3 was for the opera house. Mm-hmm. Improvements to the op- to this building actually. Yeah. The village wanted to use that money for the entire building, replace windows and such in sure. the front. But the purpose of the grant was economic development. development sure. And Village Hall doesn't spur economic development. <laughs> no, but it the takes opera money. house. But yes, but yeah. the opera house does. So the state said you can use that money on that building, but it all has 1.3. It all has to be focused on the opera house. That's how we got our marquee. We upgraded the heating and air conditioning. We gutted and expanded the public restrooms in the basement of the building. So Village Hall does use those <laughs> for public restrooms, and we. We couldn't replace because it's state money and it's in a historic district, but we were able to, quote, restore 72 windows in the opera house. Oh. A good number of them that were are actually sealed off. Mm-hmm. So you only see them from the outside. And these were two of those. So what they were supposed to do, the company that was hired was from the outside, remove the windows board them up, take them up and restore, and then bring them back. I came down one afternoon while the crew was here working, and they were up on stage, and I came up, and they had unsealed these windows. All the drywall and stuff that had been used to seal them up was lying in a pile on the stage. And I said, ooh, what what have you done? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we have to remove these windows. Yeah, from the outside. So... So none of that's going to be able to go back up, is it? No. no. So we replaced the windows, restored those windows, put them back in place, and we were going to seal them off. And we said, well, just leave them. You know, it was a when they put them back, it was a really nice winter day, and there was snow coming down. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah. And it was really kind of pretty. And we thought, maybe we'll open them for a, a reception on stage sometime. <laughs> I don't know. So not... Now well, we what have about them. these crazy tapestries so these, up here? We found these in the attic during the restoration. They're all, of course, scenic legs. You know, from, yes. from well, I know the one on the right is from 1913, uh-huh. and that's the oldest one. And it's silk. It's a painted silk. And the one in the middle is canvas. The one on the left is canvas, and it's actually the backside. We hung the on, with the backside showing so that we could talk about scenic. Mm-hmm. Scenery painters being yep. artisans yes. back in the day and how they would sign their work. And then we talk about how theater operators realized they could save money by painting over the canvas. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So then over, the, over, the yeah. painters stopped signing the backs because they never knew six months from now what was going to be on the front, you know, and they might not want to take credit for it. But they're so long. I mean, well, they're probably, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're legs from, yes. And so where would we put them? So we display them here and when the the people come on tour, they get to up on stage, they get to see it. (laughs) Now this rounded thing here. So this is, if you're on the outside, it's the tour. Yeah. Yeah, On the backside and it's mirrored on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, more, more windows that were, you can see one up there. That's all bricked up. Bricked oh, yeah, up. You yeah. know, more windows that on the outside were restored recently. They just kind of go around the turret. And oh, no. and what brought me here? Oh, there's Patsy Klein. Yeah, there's yeah. that always Patsy Klein. 
a piece of history. History, yeah. Nineteen went from from the nineteen ninety six, ninety seven. I still don't even remember what year it was that I came here. Now, is the, I assume that. this is going to dressing rooms. Goes down to dressing is rooms. It, Do you want to go? Uh, sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, eighteen ninety one stairs. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. This is yeah. the original. Yeah. So original stairs, original plaster, just. But then nothing's original down here. <laughs> Probably just as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at this. Yeah, this was originally all one big open space. Basically, yeah. And I'm told 1891 it was the horse stables for the fire department. Really? That's what I'm told. Not for very long because oh, then because they built their own ground floor. This we're at ground level. Oh. Yeah. Because they then built their own building and mm -hmm. so it wasn't for very long. But this dirt floor down here at the time of the restoration, it was all dirt floor. One big open space. So they created what they thought would be, again, they had producing in mind. They created these little star dressing rooms. I see. And realized that they actually need the space for things like storage and wow, these are big tours big, and stuff. Big dressing so, rooms, too. Yeah. I mean, so we, very big. Yeah. So we have coral dressing rooms. There's two of them with bathroom facilities and, mm -hmm. and a little green, green room area and just space to have our artists and such down here. Gets very crowded in December when we are rented to the local dance studios who bring in. I was going to ask if the community dance, because yeah. that's, that's a big thing. And oh. you need all of these. Yes. All of these chairs and things. Yes. My goodness. Look at the, that. One of the, the bigger of the, the bigger dance studio that rents us in their biggest years, they had 85 kids down here. I'm not surprised. Way more than we're supposed to have. But, <laughs> and you didn't want to come down here because there were tutus and tights and everywhere. And we would always, we always have to repaint the floor come January because all those tap, tap shoes, shoes oh dear. down here. But uh, that's all right. We, we like having them here. The storage under the stage. Storage under yeah. the stage and then over the bathrooms mm -hmm. and we'll crawl space over. Very cool. And then it leads up to the orchestra pit. Oh, yes. Okay. I see. I got you. And this goes out to the parking lot. We're under the loading dock here. We're actually a little below street level here, but and then uh, back up to the stage. But a lot of memories. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a lot of people come through the theater, and a lot of them are no longer with us, too, which is a sad thing. But sure. And there was a, there, a community theater group here in Dunkirk, Called the DNF Players. DNF Players, yeah. Yeah, DNF, years and Dunkirk years ago. Dunkirk and Fredonia, yeah. And they, in the early days, did some productions here. I don't know if they, the I don't know if they rented or if they like partnered a, with the, mm -hmm. the with the non, with, with us. With the That's what I should have asked you. Were there any in residence community theaters here? Well, I think they liked to think they were in residence, <laughs> but um, that was before me. But I don't think that we ever thought of them as being in residence. Mm -hmm. And and that was when, when it was financially not a good situation. Yeah. But for DNF, um, they performed in, in Mayville also, and, and they did perform here. Yeah. Okay, well, this is enough of down here, I think. Yeah. You can see we struggle with the maintaining the space. It's just, yes. well, it's it's a never-ending. Right, like old homes and old and buildings. And this is just there's nothing back here. This is the end of the building. Yep, correct? just the end. Yep. yep. Another 
mirrored turret on this side. Yep. And we load in there through the to our oh loading on oh, the here. right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's clearly new. No. Yes, that was one of the we replaced the doors were in bad shape. We replaced the doors. Uh, no, no fly space. No fly space. It's very, all very air low. conditioning now. Yep. Yeah, more than more so, than some though. So we're and wing space is very tough. Very yes. Yeah, so we have to be really careful with. When we bring in a touring production, what's the set? Mm -hmm. What's the what do they need in wing space? What are they require from a lot them? of times it's like a jukebox review, something mm -hmm. like that that has a stationary set, or something that's hung that you can close a curtain in front of, or it's just there for the whole time. Make sure I get a a picture of the proscenium, the detail of the gold proscenium. Oh and, yeah. If there's just something very appealing. And it's interesting because it's all pressed tin. Yet, oh, you know, the proscenium, wow. it's, from the audience, you think it's Well, they thought it was plaster. Yeah. The, no, that's pressed all, tin. It's oh. all pressed tin. And the ceiling is all pressed tin from the, there's the white dental molding. Oh, yeah. The gold it. on top of that is plaster. And then everything, the cove, everything else is pressed tin. That's interesting. Um, yeah. And... We knew we know there's a frescoed ceiling under all of that because when they started the restoration, a lot of the panels were missing and you could see it. And they debated a lot. Do we remove the tin ceiling and expose mm -hmm. the frescoed ceiling and use that as our kind of design inspiration? Well, when they got up into the attic and started walking around, they could you're on the floor, Jason, you're looking you're looking down, you can see the underside of the tin. Yeah. So there were just too many big too many holes, yeah. yeah, big missing pieces of original ceiling. So, um, and the tin was in good shape. I wonder why it has such really nice acoustics. Uh, and it really it's not does. like it's all covered with tapestries or, no. or curtains or anything. No, it's really. It's a. I, I could project to the back row here easily. You, you really could. Yeah. It's a. It's a great space to have music in. Singer songwriters, perfect for this. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much. Oh, Rick. you're so welcome. Really appreciate was it what it. you were looking for? Very much what I'm looking for. Oh, it was much more conversation than... Oh, that's that's where the brilliance of my editing will come in. <laughs> Stop. the taste of Orchard Park and the taste of East Aurora and you know, the taste of Williamsville. There's a lot of tastes out there. The Fredonia Opera House, beautiful place. If you get a chance, take a little ride. They have some terrific programming down there. Give it a shot. Lovely country down there in Fredonia. And that's it for this episode of RLTP's Off-Road. We'll be getting back to more Buffalo Theater-oriented programming in the fall, when the season begins anew. But till then, we're going to continue with our history project with another important historical showplace on the next episode of RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Pete Pomisano.